0: Welcome to the Church and Culture Podcast, a weekly discussion with Dr. James Emery White on the latest trends happening in culture and where and how the church should respond. Jim is the founding and senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, president of Serious Times, a ministry devoted to exploring the intersection of faith and culture, former professor of theology and culture at Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, where he also served as their fourth president, and the author of more than 20 books. I am your host, Alexis Dry, and I can't wait to dive into this week's conversation. Welcome all to today's conversation. I hope you had the chance to listen to last week's conversation because Dr. White, you outlined a few cultural trends that will most likely dominate the headlines of 2024. I think it gave those of us listening the opportunity to really just wake up to what's happening in culture, and hopefully to wisely begin to prepare ourselves for how we might respond. Um, If you didn't get a chance to listen, I certainly recommend you do so, and you can easily do that or um, find that on wherever you found this episode, or um, you can find links to that in the show notes. Now, one of your predictions, Jim, had to do with seeing a continuing decline in church attendance, and it was really interesting talking about that expected decline in light of what's actually happening here at the church where you are the senior pastor and where I work, which is Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, I know neither one of us want for this episode to sound braggy, so I'm just going to state on the front end that so much of what we're seeing really is just attributed to what God is doing. But I think we're trying to work in tandem with him in unexpected ways, which is why I thought that this could be a really helpful conversation to have in which ways in which we as a church and you as its leader have sought to engage culture in a way that still honors biblical orthodoxy, because those two things aren't always um, synonymous, unfortunately. So, Jim, would you just first share a bit about what we are seeing at MEC that doesn't necessarily fit the current script of the average American church?
1: Yeah, I love how you set that up for, before. Uh, and 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 that is, is that... Um, In the midst of seismic cultural change and challenge, it can be easy to be overwhelmed just as a church leader, church attender, someone who just loves the church. It's easy to be overwhelmed. And then you do look at the decline of the church and numerically and be easy to get very discouraged and just wonder, what do you do? And, um, you know, one of my favorite verses is uh, where it says the horse is made ready for battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. And the whole idea of that is that we're to do all that we can to prepare to work. And then obviously victory belongs to God. God needs to show up, but you know, it's, it's, it doesn't take, I mean, I think most people intuitively know that God's not showing up for everything. And, and, and there are certain things that God seems to anoint. And there are certain things that God seems to work through and it pleases him to work through. And, and so what are those things? And, and I think those are, those are important to get at. So I'm glad that we're going to have some time to do that, uh, Um, because I think that will, you know, some things that we've done for 30 plus years that have never changed, no matter what's happening in culture. But anyway, for what's happening here, um, you know, Mecca's had a a good growth run for for its whole run. Um, And, but, you know, since we've, you know, we've, we've made some very strategic things related to going hybrid and so many other things and just continuing to milk the kinds of things that we're going to be doing today, it really is it really it cements the things that we're going to be talking about today, that God is doing such incredible things uh, here through our efforts in spite of a, an antagonistic culture toward church growth and decline of the church overall. Um, just, just just We're coming off of Christmas. Our in-person attendance increased by 46% over last year. Our online attendance increased by 141% over last year. Um we had last year, our Christmas services online and in person had just over 20,000 people attending. This year, over 43,000 people attending. Um, you know, we're record giving and is, and is that you know is stunning to us. Our average weekend attendance overall, forget Christmas, just 20, 2023, now that that's in the books, compared to 2022, we increased by 39%. Uh, when, uh, so it's just, it's just been amazing. And we notched our, just over our four thousandths, uh, baptism, um, and as well this past year. So it's, it's, it's been, it's been remarkable. We're all, you, you know, you were at our last staff meeting. We're all just kind of sitting around literally just saying only God.
0: Yeah. Well, I really like the way that you have talked about this at MEC and you mentioned that last staff meeting in terms of not as much like here are here are the things that we're doing necessarily in terms of practice, but rather you framed it as here are six transcendent values that have defined our church since day one. And so I want to walk through those because, first of all, they're just really powerful in and of themselves, but also because I'd love to hear our listener, I'd love for our listeners to hear how you've continued to update the methodology of those values in order to continuously stay in sync with culture so let's start with the first one which is children matter yeah yeah it's, on that?
1: It's, it's so interesting to me I mean we don't have these in any particular order but but you know there there is no doubt that that when it comes to mech uh, we have valued children and children's ministry from day one and and reaching out to children uh, it, it's I, I often surprise pastors when I talk about children's ministry at Mac, and I say, um, "It's it's 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 one of the keys if you want to grow your church and penetrate our culture. We devote we have our largest budget, largest part of our budget goes to Met Kids, largest number of staff are Met Kids, largest amount of real estate on, in terms of our buildings and campuses is Met Kids, mm-hmm. and uh, and we would say rightfully so." And and that's that's very very appropriate. Now, of course, this all goes back to Jesus. You know, it's not like we're making these values up. Every value that we have that fuels our church's growth comes from from Scripture. But Jesus, particularly, as you know, had that incredible scene where the disciples wanted to keep children away from him, and he just said, "Oh my goodness, you know, let me tell you who I'm prioritizing right now. <laughs> you, know, you let those kids come." And he blessed them and held them and spent time with them. And it was such a beautiful scene where he made it very, very clear how much these children matter to God. And it was a priority to him. And so we have we have, we have said that we're going to prioritize this. And, and we, it's so interesting how this works with the unchurched and with things. What we're doing with children's ministry, we've had so many, literally thousands of parents say over the years, um, if church had been like that for me when I was a child, it would have altered the entire trajectory of my life. It would never have turned me off to church. I'd have been turned on to church. It would have changed everything. You know, if I could have been turned on instead of turned off, if I could have had my questions answered instead of shut down, if I could have experienced that kind of creativity and energy and joy and love and fun, everything would have changed for me. And so, you know, children's ministry has always been a priority. We have found that you reach a child, you reach a family. But we've also found something else that's really interesting that I, um, and you've heard me tell this story, um, is that we, we firmly believe that um, If you if you if you win over a child, you you know you can lose the adults maybe in the service. But if you win the child, you still have a shot at those adults. Let me tell you what I'm what I'm talking about. Let me yeah. go way back to the 1990s. <laughs> you know, before there was electricity and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Mech was started in 1992 and for several years of Mac, we, we were engaged in a lot of work with church planters. And when we were in that phase ourselves, we had this thing called an annual New Work Conference and such. And I remember that I would take aspects of my summer study break and I would go and visit churches that had, were starting and that uh, had maybe gone through our New Work Conference and stuff just to encourage and, you know, just visit. And I uh, was visiting, uh, this particular church was not one that had been through our conference. It was just one that I'd heard that would started in the area that was new where we were, um, taking our break. So I went to this church and they were meeting in a movie theater and, uh, they had like children's ministry and a couple of, it was a multiplex and a couple of the theaters. And then the largest of the, of the theaters in this multiplex is where they had the service. So we went, we dropped our kids off. Um, we have four, you know, we had four young kids at the time and we went to the service and the service was, was, you know, I always want to be careful how I talk about this kind of stuff, but it was, it was, it was, it was a, it was not a, it was not a well done service. It was not, it didn't seem, it just was not a well done service, you know, and, and it had a lot of challenges and, uh, you know, some that couldn't be helped, but a lot that could be helped. And it was, it was, it was, it was, it was was, was difficult to sit through. And I was just saying, oh my gosh, I just was feeling for these folk and I really, um, and you know, Susan and I were looking at our watches about 10 minutes into it, just just, you know, it was it was really hard to sit through, it just wasn't okay. So when it was over, <laughs> we were running to get our kids, and um, and they'd been having a blast, an absolute blast. There was a young couple back there in their late 20s, early 30s who had just devoted themselves to that ministry of working with children. And they had done a lot of extra things, you know, like when they did the Bible story, our kids were telling us, so they, they had a little cassette tape player and they played it. They had like space music, you know, say like, we're going back into Bible time. And, and then they would, you know, be creative with that. And then when you were a first time guest, like our kids were, you got to go to a treasure chest and get a little gift or a little piece of candy or a little toy or something. And and my kids just ate it up. They just loved it. And so this church that we just barely could get through, they were begging us to go back. And I remember that summer we went to some of the largest most well-known, you know, growing churches in that area. And that were just, you know, uh, and and our kids kept begging us to go to the church that we could, we could barely stand.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I remember, I just, I just, there were several things that went through my mind. First of all, the leaders of that church better thank God for that couple <laughs> and their vision for children's ministry. But, but here, but here's, here's the lesson that I learned that got cemented. I, I knew it going into it, but going through it experientially was powerful you can drop the ball in your service and ace it with children and you've got a shot at that family. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but if you drop it with children, I don't care how good you are with the main service, you know, you've probably lost them. And because the first thing every parent's going to ask that child is, did you have a good time? And what did you learn? Those two Mm -hmm. questions always, did you have a good time? And what did you learn? And if it was, I did not have a good time, and I have no clue what we talked about, then they're going to move on, even unchurched. And that's something that's really interesting. The unchurched, one of the things that will motivate them to come, obviously beyond an invitation, is their child, and and so they're there for their child. They're not, they're not even believers, and but they're there for their child. They want their child to have moral formation and education, and so you, that that's why children's ministry is everything. So the the the. Um, if you want to look at what is the growth engine of the church, I've always felt it was children's ministry. I've always felt that was the growth engine of the church. I don't care how slick or whatever you do on the weekends. I mean, children—that's that's that's your growth engine, or at least one of your most significant growth engines. Which is why it's so disturbing to me that so many church leaders treat children's ministry like glorified childcare,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and uh, and they don't they don't prioritize it at all.
0: Well, so that's our first value, children matter. A second value is that relevance matters. You can certainly talk a bit about why relevance matters, but then perhaps maybe you could give a longer response about how we strive to be relevant at MEC.
1: Yeah. You know, from day one, we believe I believe that the church should be culturally relevant while remaining doctrinally pure. You know, we're, we're trying to bring the message of Jesus to our world, but not just to our world, but to our nation and not just to our nation, but to our city and to our time. Which means that we have to be done in a way that is culturally relevant, which all that means is is that what we say and do has got to make sense to the person experiencing it. A lot of people hear cultural relevance. they think, oh, you're just dumbing things down or you're watering things down or you're abandoning orthodoxy in order to get warm bodies. And I'm going, I don't even know where you're getting that. Um, that's why we we phrase it very carefully, culturally relevant while remaining doctrinally pure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're just trying to connect with people. And like build a bridge over which we can both walk and meet and talk and understand each other. It's almost like a missionary going into a deep, dark area of the Amazon basin. What's the first thing they're going to do? They're going to um, they're going to master the language and and translate the scriptures into that language. And they're going to look at indigenous musical forms and how they dress and various things like that. And they're going to they're going to study that culture so that they can bring the gospel to that culture and building bridges through that culture. That's all that this means. And, of course, the greatest missiologist, arguably, who's ever lived um, uh, said the same thing. He said, I become all things to all people so that all possible means I might save some. And that's obviously the Apostle Paul. And that's been in our DNA from the beginning. We believe that the message of the Christian faith, is timeless and unchanging, but the method of communicating that message must change according to the language, culture, and background of the audience, musically, visually, stylistically, and experientially. And so this is, this is obviously huge for a church being effective in our day, walking that tightrope and continually doing that and not just being frozen in a period of time or refusing to change. Um, I used to tell, in the early days, I taught all of our team life classes, our membership classes, and I used to tell them Um, all the time, I said, if you like our weekend services right now, well, I can't guarantee that that's what they're going to look like, feel like in even 12, 18 months. Uh, We're going to be doing everything we possibly can to create a front door for the unchurched and to do whatever makes the most sense, except anything that would be, we are not gonna do anything that's not biblical or be you know against that, but we're gonna do you know, musically, stylistically, visually. I, you know, we don't know what's gonna be the best way to be relevant communication in a communication standpoint to people. And I said, so I don't even know. I'm not even sure that the weekend services are, are still gonna be the front door. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, so you, that, that's how much you've got to hold this with an open hand. And that kind of a value system in, in the midst of an ever-changing culture, keeps the church on the cutting edge.
0: Yeah. Now, if any of our listeners have attended a MEX service, and I'm going to say either in person or online, I think they'll have an easy time nodding along in agreement when I say our third value, which is that the arts matter. And I say that because it is so evident, I feel like, in what we do. Now, I'm particularly interested in hearing you talk about the why behind this value, specifically in light of the value of relevance that you just explained.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we really do. I, I mean, for me, it, it's, it, it you know, I'll, I'll speak very personally. Um, the arts have always touched my life and touched my heart. Music, theater, dance, um, it just film, um, and, and it's been very powerful and I always understood it as a powerful medium. And there was a part of me that was a bit of an artist and, and so was drawn to it, but it was, it was from an aesthetic standpoint, it was very, very powerful, very effective. And then over the history of the church, the church used to be the patron of the arts and, and the church was, was, was who supported, uh, painting and the writing of music and sculpture and, and massively beautiful Uh, works of architecture, and and so much more. The arts were celebrated, but somewhere along the line, and and largely through the Reformation, and and let's be honest, I mean, there's a lot of wonderful things that came out of the Reformation, but uh, I I once heard a church history uh, uh, specialist, a professor of church history say um, some aspects of the Reformation reduced the church to four walls and a Bible, Mm -hmm. threw away art, threw away architecture, threw away music, threw away everything and um so you know i I, i've kind of wanted to be a bit of a of a person who wanted to fight for uh recapturing the arts for the life of the church and biblically this isn't just an historic thing biblically and and you know this uh when the people of israel were called to to build the tabernacle and start building places of worship um and the ark of the covenant and everything else that was associated with with worshiping life of the people um, God told Moses very specifically okay pull together the artists mm-hmm. i have spirit anointed them I've, I've gifted them uh you know that was for a reason so let's get the artists let's get the craftsmen together you can read all about this in in exodus and and uh God looked to artists from the very beginning to and inspired artists for his work and they had professional musicians and and and, and as a part of the life of the church and so when people start kind of looking down on churches or even larger churches that spend effort on arts or music or whatever, or hire people and equip people with these gifts. I wanna say, you know, it's not like we're making this up. We're just being a patron of the arts. And and so, um, you know, God gave music and musicians to the life of the people. Most of the Psalms in the Bible are lyrics to songs and on and on it goes. God made us to enjoy and respond to art. But again, when, when talking about church growth, the, the arts, our ways of building one of the most powerful bridges possible to unchurched people, because, um, it's, it's, it's the common language. Mm -hmm. Um, it may not be stained glass today, but it's YouTube. Mm -hmm. And so it's film and, and it's music and these are universal languages that communicate. I remember I was in the, uh, one of our chat rooms recently and I, um, somebody said there was a song going on and being performed and, uh, I think almost everybody on stage, including the people who are singing, we're all volunteers at Mac. We don't have a, you know, we, a lot of churches hire all their, we don't do that. We, we use volunteers. And, um, and, um, but uh, I remember they wrote in the chat room, they said, I may not believe what they're singing, but I believe that they believe what they're singing. Mm-hmm. I remember I went to some folks in on our online campus. And I said, so is that like, do you hear that? They said, we hear that all the time. Mm-hmm. And the power of this I I just think it's so powerful because it, and this is not original with me, I don't know where I first heard this, but it's not original with me. Um, But the, but the idea is that the arts are able to sneak past the defenses of the heart. And so uh, I, I just think that that's, that's, that's very powerful.
0: Yes. Agreed. Yeah. I'm in the online campus quite a bit and I, I can testify to how often that comes up or just, Um, not even the authenticity of those performing the arts, but just being so grateful to see a church care about it or try Mm -hmm. things stylistically. And just, yeah, it just feels really in tune. It's
1: funny. I I mean, I get energized talking about this kind of stuff, but what I remember um, there was a, a lovely, lovely young woman and her husband and children came to the church and they met Christ here and, and, and were baptized here. And, 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 and I remember she wrote to me and I think she actually posted this on social media as well, but she, she said, I, I am so grateful that not only did I come to Christ and my marriage got saved and I got saved, <laughs> you know." but she said, I remember she said, and, and, and that I could take my, my, my love for dance and my, you know, what God's allowed me to do with dance. And, and, and I can throw that into the life and mission of the church. And she did. We, 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 Um, before she moved she had to relocate um and uh but she she you know was instrumental in doing some of the most amazing dance interpretive things to songs that were just i mean people were just like wrecks at the end as she just interpreted songs through dance and was just so powerful just and and you know and so here was someone who had this incredible gift that god had given it was so powerful in reaching out to people And how how terrible would be that if someone like that didn't even have an outlet for the cause of Christ?
0: Mm. So true. Now, while the the value of the arts mattering may not land in the top six values of the average church, I think the next one would, and that's that unity matters. And I don't think any church would disagree with that. I think most churches would say, oh, yes, we seek to have a unified church. I'm not sure that all churches realize the cultural impact of disunity. So what would you like to say about this one?
1: I don't think it's a value at all Mm. for most churches. And And I say that with grief. I think this is one of those where I mean, I, when people look at the six that we're going to be talking about, the five or six that we're going to talk about as you lead us through them, I think they're going to say, well, yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah, that's ours, that's ours, that's ours too. No, the, 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 so what separates churches is that those churches that have this rhetoric and those churches that have it as reality. Yeah. Um, of course, nobody's going to say, yeah, we, we don't care about unity. We're mean as sin and proud of it. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> we divide every chance we have. And, you know. We're the 14th Baptist Church. We started off as First Baptist Church, but now we're 14th Baptist Church, you know. Uh, no, 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 no. But but, so let's talk about what this means, at least for us, because um, it's essential. It's essential to this place. And from day one, we've made this value something that we strive for and work for and, and care about passionately. Um, we believe that loving relationships should permeate every aspect of the life of the church. That's the bottom line. And we don't just believe it. We practice it. And one of the reasons that this is so big, it's not just because it's biblical. I can talk about that here in a minute. But again, speaking personally, I have been as wounded, if not more so, than anybody by the pain that can be inflicted on people by people, particularly within the wider church world. I've seen division and discord and slander and power plays. And and it's just just awful. I've seen people assume the worst of others and make accusations and shoot the wounded. Uh, This value simply says not here not here, you know, not on our watch. Uh, Instead, we're going to do everything in our power to relate to each other lovingly and truthfully and compassionately and and graciously. And when there is conflict or tension, not if, when there is conflict or tension, stress or misunderstanding, we're going to tackle it head on within the context of love. Uh, We won't be equally close to one another. This is not about every person being your best buddy. There's going to be some people you might be a little allergic to. Um, But we can still be loving in our spirit and gracious in our hearts. And as I have said for so many years, and fiercely loyal to each other. Uh, We want to always take the high road. We want to give the other person the benefit of the doubt instead of being eager to be suspicious, wounded, or offended. Um, That spirit matters. It is so compelling. This is what draws people in and makes them want to find out more about this Jesus. And, and, and when people say, you I mean, unity is like a church growth issue for you. It's not just a value. It's not just biblical. It's not just theological truism. You know, you're, you're, you're passionate about it for, for also for church growth. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Have you not read John 17? You know, the, the, the tail end of, of Jesus' high priestly prayer where, you know, he, he prays so passionately that, oh, he just says, oh, may you be one as I and the Father are one. And if you can pull off unity, if you can pull off relational unity, we're not talking about unanimity or, or you know, that kind of we're talking about relational unity. If you can love one another, then they'll know that I am who I said I am. They'll know the truth of the gospel. They'll believe it. They'll be drawn to it because this is the one thing the world does not have. This is the one thing that will draw the attention of the world. This is the unanswerable apologetic. Um and so there's just there's just nothing, there's just nothing more powerful than this. Which is one of the reasons why I tell our staff, as you know, in fact, we just recently had a meeting on this. Uh MEC will never be more unified and loving than our staff is unified and loving. So it starts there. Uh everything starts there. Being loyal starts there. So for example, somebody comes to me and this, you know, and says, Well, you know. Alexis, da, 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 you know, and I go, you know what? I know Alexis and I know her heart. I know her character. I know her walk with Christ. And I know that if that was your experience with her, that that was not true of her. And, and that was certainly atypical. And I'm sure there's an understanding. And have you talked to her about that? And, and you know, she's a delightful human being that I dearly love as a daughter. And so if you say anything about her again, I'm going to have to rip your lungs out. I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um But, but, you know, but it is, it is a sense where the, with the, with the staff, it, 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 that kind of sets the speed of the church. And, and I think that, um, that it, it, but it is, it is powerful. It is so powerful to the world. I I mean, how many times, and you know this, people come in and said, this just seems like such a loving, happy, peaceful place Mm -hmm. and, and, and free of drama. And, and if there is drama, it seems like it's dealt with quickly and short-lived and, you know, yeah. And it, and it arrests the attention of the world.
0: Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, I can certainly testify to, I, I mean, I think, I think every church would want to just say that this is true, but not realize that there's work to make this true. But when you realize that the I mean, church is full of messy people coming with messy things, like if you don't have a plan for how to deal with conflict um, or how to to promote unity, the natural bent of the church is not going to lead you no. there.
1: And yeah. unity is not about deflecting things. It's not about denying things. It's not about, it's it's like, it's also a heart of unity is, is, is very quickly the practice of Matthew 18, 15, which we talk about a lot here, but you know, the heart of Matthew 18, 15 is, you know, two people sitting down from each other and saying, someone saying, here's how I was offended or hurt. And the other person saying, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I had no intention of that. Please forgive me. Mm-hmm. And you know, let me explain, not trying to defend, but let me at least explain um, and, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm so sorry about that. And, and, and it's keeping a short list. Yeah. Uh, another example I've often given is like, okay, we're at a staff meeting or a group of meeting, like, you know, get five or six people having some kind of meeting. And when it's over, you just felt in your spirit, somebody kind of frustrated you or it didn't go, you know, whatever they were condescending. Mm-hmm. And so what do you do with that? You sit on it all day. You go to bed that night with it. You tell your spouse about it. You tell three or four other people about it. You cement it down, and then all of a sudden you start getting more and more defensive and more and more kind of sensitive to this person, and everything that they do kind of starts to hit you that same way, and it grows and grows and grows and grows, and all of a sudden it erupts into a huge staph infection, or do you uh, immediately after that meeting just say, hey, you know, do you got a second? Mm -hmm. And they come back in, you close the door, you say, you know what, I I know you didn't mean this, you know, but that came across a little dismissive, and I Mm -hmm. felt it was a little condescending. And I, I just, I don't know. I don't want to carry that any further. And if it's me, I want to own it. And and you know, but I just, it just that's the way it felt, you know. And and you know, they're going to say, oh my gosh, I did not mean for that to be how it came across. Um, Or maybe they'll say, well, actually, I didn't mean it (laughs) to be that way. But here's why: because you were being an insufferable prig, and I needed to take you down. But you know, you know. But I mean, you talk, and you don't, you don't carry it home with you. And I think that's important.
0: Yeah. Well, moving on, and let me reiterate what Jim said earlier. These are in no particular order because the fact that our fifth value um, is the Bible matters. Yeah, I just feel like I need to clarify that. Now, now culture might disagree, you know, with the Bible mattering, obviously, but not the church. But for a church hoping to be relevant to culture, you mentioned earlier, it's a it's a tightrope, you know, between biblical orthodoxy or you know how did you put it main, um, being yeah, faithful to uh, doctrinally pure, yeah, and culturally relevant. So, for a church who does want to be culturally relevant, what role must the Bible play?
1: Yeah, well, we go be, we go beyond saying that the Bible matters. We go we say the Bible is true.
0: Hmm.
1: It's true, and it's the catalyst for life change in people's lives. As a result, from day one, whenever it comes to what to believe. Uh, how to think, how to operate, where we're going to land on a particular position or an issue. We've had one simple uh, value, go to the Bible and then go with the Bible. Uh, That's what Jesus did. We are committed to building this church on a biblical blueprint in every conceivable way. That's why we're committed to teaching the Bible. It's why the Mech Institute, for example, is so committed to in-depth studies of the Bible. I don't do a talk. I don't do a message. It's not rooted in Scripture. Whether it's an expositional talk, a, uh, a topical uh, series, it doesn't matter. It's all rooted in Scripture in, in one form or another. We just believe that the Bible is the Word of God to our lives. You know, as the author of Hebrews says, it's alive, it's active, it's powerful. It, it's it's sharper than a double-edged sword, piercing and so soul, uh, soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and 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 you know, revealing the innermost thoughts of the heart, judging them. Um, this is this is very important as a value for us, but, you know, we're kind of on a bit of a church growth kind of edge. Why would that matter for church growth? And, and I'll give you a couple, three reasons. One, there was a massive sociological study that was done, um, back in the uh, 1970s, I believe. And, and I remember the title of the book of the sociological study was why conservative churches are growing. And, and it was a look at, Conservative churches, or you know, churches that were upholding the inspiration and authority of Scripture, and certain mainstream churches that had abandoned that or uh, playing fast and loose with that, and it was showing that conservative churches were growing, and and churches that weren't uh, ho- upholding the Bible were were in decline. I that I think that sociological study would hold up today. I think it's if anything, it's just that it's just prescient. Um, I if if we. You know, we're not trying to present to the world what it wants to hear. We're trying to give to the world what it needs to hear. And we're trying to do it in winsome and compelling and engaging ways that are culturally relevant. But again, as you said, doctrinally pure. The Bible is true and there's things that are non-negotiable. And the Bible says it may not be popular, but that's where the challenge is for those who want to have both a prophetic and an evangelistic voice combined. You want to be prophetic but you also want to be evangelistic. And so you're presenting it without watering it down. If we don't present the truth of scripture, if we don't present the full counsel of God, if we don't present the gospel raw and unfiltered, then we have nothing to offer the world that it does not already have. And I'll tell you right now that if you have nothing to offer the world that it does not already have, how can you expect to attract people? Like what, what are you attracting them with? Um, and so I, I think this is absolutely key. There's a there's a, a, a leftward drift I think that is happening in our world today um, within the church. And I think it's just a death blow. And um, and I, I think that um, it's a mistake for churches and church leaders to feel like the way to grow is to tickle the years, mm-hmm. you know, bury the hard truths, you know, water down scripture, capitulate to cultural ethics as opposed to biblical ethics. And, you know, if we have certainly... Not done that on any issue, on any matter. And we're growing faster than ever. And here's culture getting more and more and more decisively removed from the Christian world. You know, we're in a post-Christian culture moving further and further away. And we're growing faster and reaching more lost people than ever, over 70% of our growth coming from the unchurched. And, And yet we're serving it up. You know, we're serving it up. I, there was a guy in the chat room the other day. It's was, it was fascinating that they sent me the, the the thing on. He was part of a, a group of. Uh, they were some kind of watch party at. I can't remember if it was a pub or a Starbucks or a brewery, but they were they were <laughs> welcome to Back World, right? Yeah. But they were they were they were watching. They, they were kind of gotten hooked on on the service, and most of them weren't Christians. And um, and uh, I was uh. In, in the talk, he, he commented, he says, you know, here he goes. And sometimes we ask ourselves, why do we keep coming back for this? Mm-hmm. And all we can say is, is that it's stuff we've never heard before. We've never heard put this way before. And it's arresting and and it's just it's just served up stiff. Mm-hmm. Not in a, you know, harsh way, but just like, it's like, you know, they know they're going to hear things they don't agree with. Mm-hmm. But yet they're attracted to that mm-hmm. at the same time. So I think that if we can just do that in a way that's winsome and compelling, as I've often said, the prophetic voice with the evangelistic voice. If you have the prophetic voice, but not the evangelistic voice, that's just going to come across as judgmental. If you have the evangelistic voice without the prophetic, it's often you know, grace without truth. And so it, you, you need both combined. Um, but what you don't want to do is water anything down. So I, I, I do think that this, this really sets us apart and, um and I think it's it's a it's obviously a huge defining characteristic of our church
0: oh for sure and I think it goes hand in hand with our final value which I'll let you talk about which is lo- lost people matter because I mean I think they go so hand in hand because it's one thing as you mentioned to 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 deliver the truth of the Bible but if it's divorced from their practice of living that out, I mean, that's, I think that's more unattractive than, than anything. And I see that all the time in chat of people on the online campus saying, I don't know that I'm ready to believe what you're saying yet, but I 100% believe that you care about me. Yeah.
1: yeah. And
0: so how might someone who attends MEC for the first time, for example, experience this value of lost people matter?
1: Well, they're recognized, I mean there there I mean it's like like we we acknowledge that you're there and we and we value you and we 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 don't belittle you or condescend to you and 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 we 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 you know we you're you're you know you're identified in the best way not like raise your hand we'll put a big red visitor tag on you I mean it's like we acknowledge that you're there and all that we say and all that we do um and we value you and 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 we celebrate your presence I mean, I mean, I, is there a talk that I give? I think on any given week where I don't say, "Now, to those of you who are not Christ followers, to those of you who, who don't believe in God, or you're still tire kicking these things," here's how this, here's how you might want to be processing this. I mean, it's it's just such a natural part of our DNA. But but let me talk about this value because this is you know we could do five thousand podcasts on lost people matter to God and you wouldn't be able to silence me on on going on and on and on about it. But let me just keep it to this. There isn't a single church on this planet. Christian church that wouldn't say lost people matter to God. Jesus came to save sinners and the church is supposed to be evangelistic and we're supposed to be reaching people for Jesus. Everybody would say that the breakdown is, are you willing to flesh out that value and do what it takes to reach people? And then that's where the wheels just come off of that, where it comes to fleshing it out. A couple of quick, I was talking, I was speaking at a conference, I don't know, several months ago. And, um, and I'll try to say this in a way that protects the innocent, but I was, I was at this conference and, and, um, the host pastor was telling me how he was really wanting to put a couple of screens on either side of the front stage for, um, those who might come who don't have scripture, who don't have a Bible and may not know where to turn in a Bible, even if we were to give them a Bible. you know, It's awkward, you know, turn to page, whatever. Turn to Exodus, what, what is that? So he wanted to put scriptures on the screen for those that were coming from an unchurch background. And also because they had older hymnals, and they didn't have money for new hymnals, they wanted to be able to put lyrics to songs so they could have some newer music that they felt was, you know, really good, strong music. And he said, just to enhance the whole worship thing and to hopefully reach out. And he pitched it to... His church, you know, like to do it in the name of of outreach. Now that may sound really tame. Most a lot of churches, a couple of screens to enhance things, but in his church uh, polity, they had to vote. They voted it down, and they voted it down because he just said the people said, "I don't, I don't like it. I just don't like. I don't want screens in church." You know, and not a not one ounce of their heart beat for the lost or beat for the mission. It was all about their own sensibilities. That's all they cared about was their own sensibilities. And you see this all over the place with churches, you know, I'm not going to park there. I don't like that music or that's too loud. That's not good for me. I don't want to move. I don't want to go to an earlier service. I don't want to change. I don't want to do, I don't want to do anything that would help reach lost people. Oh, but I wish our church was evangelistic and reaching people. Why aren't we reaching people for Jesus? Oh my goodness. And so this value says, you know, we're going to die to ourselves. See this, that's what that value is really about. Die to ourselves. Um, And, 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 And it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about the person who's not even here yet. We're going to remove, do everything we can to reach them. And, um, you know, we'll park where we need to park and we'll have whatever music works best. And if someone says, but I don't like that, then we're going to give them that four word mantra that is huge here at Mac, but I wish it would spread. And that's, it's not about you. Mm -hmm. It really isn't. And it's not about me either. It's about the person who's not here yet. Um, and, and, you know, if somebody comes to Mecca and says, well, I don't like this, I don't like that. And what they're really saying is I want a church that's going to revolve around me. I want a church that's going to revolve around me as the already convinced and all of my wants and needs and desires. I want the worship experience, the, the, every, everything about the church. I want it to be about me. I don't want anything that would, uh, not serve me certainly in the name of reaching others. I, I no, 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 no. And, and so it's, it's, it's this narcissistic church that they're wanting, you know, where they can have all of their needs met and have it revolve around them. And, you know, we've just kind of had to lovingly say, you know, if that's what you want, Hey, there's seven or 800 other churches in Charlotte, go find one like that. That's not us. And it's never going to be. And, you know, we're going to have a towel over our arm and do whatever it takes to die to ourselves, to reach lost people. And, um, and yeah. Yeah. That's that. And that value is, has, has, you know, that really is what fuels growth where you're turned outward. And it's not just the death to self. I, I, I know we need to wrap this up, but it's not just death to self. It's also a sense of constantly saying, what does how would an unchurched person feel about this? How can we reach people? Like, like when we're doing something, how would an unchurched person respond to this? In other words, we're constantly thinking about outreach and, and inviting people and everything about the front door. We're constantly riding that point. And I've been in churches all over the world where they might say, oh, we're very much after the unchurched. Ten minutes into that service, I want to say, no, you're not. I mean, it is so obvious. This is for the already convinced. You're not doing anything to even acknowledge that they're here, much less their sensibilities, their background, their knowledge level, the vocabulary, nothing. Uh, their comfort levels. You're not doing anything and and even if in and and on your website not doing anything and there's nothing about even your out even your marketing is so clearly oriented towards somebody who's already convinced and and I, there's just a a almost like a a uh, a blindness to to truly having this value break out and take root and make a difference
0: yeah it's kind of like the problem that has always plagued god's people of Of wanting people to come into the community, but wanting them to become, like, to change to be a part of the community, rather than those in the community looking outward and trying to meet people where they are, so... Oh, this has been so rich. It was rich just a couple days ago when you said this in our staff meeting. It's rich again. So I'm so glad that we had the opportunity to do a podcast on this. Um, Several things that we talked about um, actually kind of led us into some future podcast episodes that we wanted to dig deeper in. So please continue to listen. Tune in next week. We're going to dive deeper um, into some of these things specifically. But yes, thank you, Jim. Um, And of course, I mean, we just thank God for all the things that he is doing here at Mac. So yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Tune in again next week.